Welcome back to the Institute of World Mission podcast. I'm your host, Alex Ott. As missionaries, we are involved in a spiritual ministry. Yes, we have many professional faces. We are aid and development workers, educators, physicians, administrators, financial specialists, many others, I'm sure. But there is something common to all of us besides the fact that we are called missionaries. We are laborers with the Holy Spirit. And we have a spiritual dimension to our lives and ministry. Today's interview is brought to you by Ken Osborne, who, together with his wife, Ivanette Osborne, serve as pastoral care providers to Adventist cross-cultural missionaries. They are the ones who daily pray for us, the ones who are engaged with us at that spiritual dimension. Ken interviews Marvin Ray, a pastor who lived his calling his entire life. Marvin has 43 years of full-time ministry and after retiring has continued to serve now for more than three years. He currently ministers to the Chico SDA Church in Northern California. And in the past, he had served six years as pastor and chaplain at Hong Kong Adventist Hospital. Together, Ken and Marvin look into what makes us spiritually strong as we face troubles and our missionary journeys. Let's hear the interview. Welcome to the Institute of World Mission Weekly Podcast, a show for Adventist mission enthusiasts striving to live, serve, and witness cross-culturally. Visit us at iwm.adventist.org podcast to view this podcast's show notes, links, and previous episodes. Institute of World Mission is your partner in the mission field. Thank you for the introductions, Alex. As um, Marvin Ray and I have opportunity to share in this podcast with our uh, mission family, wherever they may be um, in the world at this time. Marvin, it's good to have you online with me today. I know we're doing this by Zoom, um, but that seems to be the way we operate these days. The last time we were able actually to, to be together physically, that goes back to last year, I think in the um, summer months, when we were attending a mission institute, Institute of World Missions at Andrews, and on a free Sabbath, we came across to the Hinsdale Seventh-day Adventist Church where you were pastoring. I'm wondering if you, you could share how it is that a retired pastor from California would end up out in Hinsdale in Illinois pastoring that beautiful church. Well, I retired, but you know, I, I haven't quit preaching and I haven't certainly lost my sense of call. I just love to share the gospel. And so I've done three uh, interim pastorates and uh, had the, the privilege of doing that in Hinsdale. It's such a beautiful setting and a beautiful church. But uh, I'm good friends with the conference president back there. They were in between pastors, and they wanted to uh, make sure that things just stayed on track. And so they asked me to come back for as long as it took. And, uh, and uh, it, it was only three months. But, uh, you know, my, my purpose in an interim pastorate is to simply prepare the church uh, to do a spiritual reset and be ready to embrace new leadership when it comes. So it, it, it's been fun. But, uh, yeah, Hinsdale was great. Well, I'll, I'll have to admit that it seems like we aren't just talking about an event last year when we went to church 
and you preach that Sabbath, but um, it's, it's almost as if it was in a bygone era of world's history. Yeah, we talk about B.C. and A.D., well, now we talk about pre-C. <laughs> and COVID. Yeah, and unfortunately, we can't say it's, it's post-C quite yet, so I guess we're in the middle of, of the big C or COVID-19 event. So where have um, your steps taken you since, since you were at Hinsdale? Okay. Uh, yeah, I got back from Hinsdale and uh, had a brief uh, respite. And then in January of this year, uh, the Northern California Conference asked me if I would be interim pastor in Chico, California, which is a little over 80 miles away from me, but uh, that's, it's an easy drive. And so I've been there since January. They are still in the early stages of their pastoral search. Uh, so I'll be there for a bit longer. But uh, Chico is unique in that two years ago uh, in in Paradise, which is only 15 miles away from them, uh, they had this massive fire. And of course, we have a, a very large church in Paradise, I think of 1,400 members. And that church is gone. And uh, over 100 church members lost their homes in that. I think all but one of the pastoral staff lost their homes. And and uh, everyone from Paradise and the surrounding small communities uh, descended on Chico. And uh, they worshipped uh, together for a while. Uh, and then Paradise was able to establish a, a footprint back up on the hill. And they are doing that and looking forward to rebuilding a church there. But uh, the, the Chico people, some of the Chico people lost homes as well. But those that uh, didn't lost the privacy of their homes because they had Paradise members living in their homes. Uh, just, mm -hmm. I would say that Chico, today, and, and just now, just recently, we had another fire come through there. I had Chico members that lost their home this time. Uh, Paradise had to evacuate again. I'm, I'm dealing with a church full of people, really, that are dealing with PTSD. Um, and so between the fires and the COVID and the current political situation that we're in, um, we're, we're dealing with a church that's in a world of hurt. And they haven't had a solid uh, lead pastor since uh, a month or so before the first fire hit. Their pastor left under less than ideal circumstances, and it's not something that, that, that he did, but it was just a, a very dramatic time. The Paradise pastor tried to pastor both churches, but he was so entrenched with Paradise that uh, nobody was there. So until I came on board as an interim, they, they had an associate pastor who has held the fort wonderfully. So it's just been a, a, a traumatized church. You know, when you talk about the Paradise Church, I remember hearing about Paradise. I hate to admit it, I never actually made it to Paradise, but I remember hearing descriptions where people seem to think that the, um, the name of the town was a very good way to describe the actual community. Um, because uh, my understanding was it was a beautiful community and yet then totally destroyed. Well, it, it, it was a beautiful community. It was a beautiful church, and we had a large hospital there. So, again, we, we talk about Hinsdale and all the professional music that was there. Paradise was similar, but now that hospital is 
for all practical purposes, not existing there. It wasn't that the town was so gorgeous. It was a small community uh, that 80% of it was gone. Yeah, they, certainly the members there thought of it as paradise. Well, you know, you've described the, the setting Chico, obviously so many different pressures on that community some internal and others external and the like. So um, I imagine you have to be very careful or think really carefully how you're going to, to minister to a congregation that obviously has been traumatized in so many different realms. And yeah. so I, I would be curious as to, you know, what you have chosen in terms of, uh, and, and I'm particularly thinking, because I'm sure you're very limited in what you can do in terms of the personal one-on-one. I mean, obviously, in the era we're in now here in California, you're not just going to be running from home to home, going out with visitation and the like. So I imagine a, a, a major portion of your ministry has to involve the pulpit ministry. Um, could you describe how, are, are you actually meeting in person now, or is it all by internet, you know, by the, the web, as it were? Yeah, for, we had a month that we were meeting together normally, if, if we can describe it that way, before COVID hit. Uh, since then, it was, for many months, it was just online, just me and a camera and a makeshift studio in my office. Then we started meeting outside with with restrictions. Now we had the last two weeks we've been meeting back inside again, but with masks, social distancing, lots of restrictions, but also online. Uh, so the, the majority of people, we were averaging uh, 350 to 400 in attendance normally. Now, whether we're outside or, or inside, we get uh, 60 or 70. So the bulk of the people are still watching online. My, my purpose there, as I mentioned before, my purpose as an interim pastor is to do a, a spiritual renewal so that the people themselves are regrounded in Christ. And that's a key phrase uh, that I'll just open up briefly. And so that they are ready to embrace new leadership. And so that he's, he or she, when they come, have the opportunity to, to take people that are that have made a new, renewed commitment to Christ. So I did a series about what it means to be in Christ and Christ in us, literally, leading up to an anointing, a literal anointing with oil for those who want to publicly declare their desire to have the Holy Spirit live in them, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. The latter rain, you know, we talk about the latter rain as something that's going to fall sometime. Well, I don't know what we're waiting for, so we embraced it now. Since I, I did that, then I needed uh, a new emphasis. So I went on to doing a series on uh, the book of Revelation, which I've entitled The Gospel of Revelation. It seemed to be appropriate just considering everything that's going on with the fires that these people have been through, with the pandemic that is worldwide, and but certainly locally, with the political unrest with our concerns about climate change and everything else that's bombarding us, last day events is not <laughs> is not an inappropriate uh, thing to deal with. But uh, I've taken a, a bit of a different approach to Revelation 
in the could, title. could I have caught that in the title? You said you're you're speaking about the gospel of Revelation because I, I normally don't have not associated the word gospel with the book of Revelation. You know, just just thinking of my own childhood, I remember as a boy um, growing up in the area in the Mountain View, California area, where the Pacific Press was at that time. And I remember as a boy, probably I was about maybe five or six years old, going to a dramatic um, presentation um, on, a, on a Sabbath afternoon at the gymnasium for the academy, which was connected to the, to the Pacific Press when it was there in Mountain View, and having this very dramatic presentation of what it would be to live in the last days. And I think I could say I was a little bit traumatized um, by that because, you know, the, the, the idea of, of what, when we talk about end time events, which we associate, of course, with Revelation and all, I mean, to me as a kid, I was scared to death. Right. That, that it, this was not good news. This was not gospel. This, this was scary stuff. And um, I'll, I'll, I'll confess to you, Marvin, as, as my pastor today, that um, I tend to, and, and probably still do, I have a hard time going into great controversy and reading some of those chapters about the end-time events, because it, it, it's, in a sense, not good news. So I guess the question I have for you, you know, if you're talking about Revelation, um, and I think I've seen some indications, people are using Revelation now to say, well, folks, See, this was all predicted. It's, we're in the end times. Better get your ship in order or you're not going to be, you know, saved type of thing. What, what kind of direction have you taken in, in your presentation of Revelation, if indeed it is good news, it's part of the gospel? Well, you know, I don't hide the fact that last day events are going to be traumatic. And just because we are Christians doesn't mean that we are going to be spared all of the trauma. It simply means that, you know, like it's often said, God doesn't promise to keep us out of the storm. He just promises to be with us in the storm. But more than that, he tells us again and again that his followers will be sealed. Don't uh, put out this wrath, this destruction until they are sealed. And we have this sealing, and this takes us back in, in my series to uh, the anointing that the people experienced because uh, the, Paul talks about the anointing as being a, a seal, uh, as a, a guarantee of what is to come. So if I am in Christ and Christ is in me, even though I have to weather some unpleasant things like the pandemic, like the fires, uh, and, and we believe that it's probably going to get worse before it gets better, but the gospel, the good news is that we win. Uh, because every time in Revelation that he goes through a series, whether it's the bowls or the trumpets or, or whatever it is, uh, he, he follows that up with a vision of victory. And, uh, you know, so I am, in this series, I'm not trying to uh, interpret every symbol or every church of the seven churches into, I, I know we always try to put those in a time Line, and I'm not saying that that's wrong. I'm saying that's not the heart of the message. Mm -hmm. The heart of the message is the good news that the last days are here. We are going to endure. We win. Jesus is coming to take us home. And uh, 
And we always need to remember that John wrote that first to his churches. Those seven churches in Asia, those were his churches. And he wrote to them who had been through a traumatic experience. They had just seen, many of them had seen their Lord and Savior die on the cross. And, and they're traumatized. So it, it's good news for them. They're under political turmoil with Rome. And so it, it's good news for every generation. I guess, too, you could say John was a pretty credible person to, to bring them the messages, because what were his own circumstances when he wrote Revelation? Well, he'd been bo boiled in a vat of oil, <laughs> boiling oil, mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and escaped that. He'd been imprisoned. Yeah. It's in a dungeon or so, as, as yep. he writes. So he had um, probably his COVID-19 experience is very pale in comparison to what, what John had been through. But the whole Bible is good news, isn't it? The, certainly the book of Revelation, it, it's good news if you read it through and see Christ renewing his commitment to be with us every step of the way. What, what do you find as, as uh, how, how would you present, for example, the seven churches? Um, because I know that some would, in a series like this, would take each church as an individual, you know, unit and make a sermon out of that. Now, I happen to go online, which anyone could do. And again, I would stress, go on the Chico Church site. They can see your presentations in relationship to Revelation. But I did see your presentation on the um, seven churches, and you didn't break them out to each one as individual per se, as much as you were looking for a common thread that ran through the whole you know, series of, of churches that, that took place. It wasn't just historical. So I, I wonder if you could just share a little, you know, what, what are those common threads that run through the seven churches? Each church, and they, they were all unique. He had some good things to say about them, some bad things to say about them. There were some churches that, uh, that he skipped either the good part or the bad part. But to each one, he said, I know. I, I know you. I know your works. I know where you live. Uh, to each one, he said, look, if you have an ear, listen to what I'm saying. And it's interesting because he didn't say, if you have an ear, listen to what I'm saying to, to you, Ephesus. He said, listen to what I'm saying to the churches. So, and, and they didn't just read the little snippet that's there in Revelation 2 and 3. They read the whole of Revelation the 22 chapters, although it obviously wasn't divided into chapters. So Jesus said, if you have an ear, listen to the whole message, put it in context. So there, there is his statement that I know you, I know all about you. I, I, have, I know good things about you. I know where you need to grow if you have an ear. But he also said to each one, to him that overcomes, even to Laodicea, where he, he didn't have any commendation, he said, to he that overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne. So it, it's a message of hope and promise and assurance and victory to every church in every time, in every circumstance, including us today. So it's not like just get your house in order. It's not about us getting our house in order because, Ken, my house will never be in order. I will never be ready. I will never be good enough. I am a sinner. Like Paul says, you know, at the, at the end of my life, the things I know I should do, I'm not doing. But who will save me? Praise God, his righteousness. So uh, it's not about me getting my house in order. It's about me getting 
my life in Christ and Christ in me. And I do that by Romans 12, 1 and 2. I present my body a living sacrifice, and I'm not conformed to the world, but I'm transformed by renewing my mind. And uh, I just, in, in the latter 20 years of my ministry, I have just hammered this and Second Corinthians 5.17, new creatures in Christ. Um, but going on, if, if we have that relationship, if I have a new creation, he says, now I'm, I'm his ambassador. I'm God's ambassador with a message of reconciliation. <laughs> so this is the message we have. We're all missionaries. And some of those listening are in third world countries. Some of them are in first world countries. Well, I think you yourself had experience of, of being in, in the overseas setting. You worked in Hong Kong, correct? Hong Kong from 79 to 85, yeah. Okay. Did you learn anything out of that experience as it would relate to what we've been talking about here today? In other words, um, you know, you were dealing, obviously, I've been in Hong Kong and, and seen how secular and everyone is driven by chasing the almighty Hong Kong, what is it, dollar or whatever, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah. No. But um, did you, would, would you say that the message of Revelation even it would have relevance in these settings that, that really are not Christian settings? Every church is different. There's, there's still seven churches today. I think we can, can refer to it as seven churches today. That, that's the perfect, complete number. There are all varieties of churches with their strengths and weaknesses around the world. So, absolutely. And what did I learn in Hong Kong? That's where I really found grace. I had only been a minister for six years when we went to Hong Kong. Uh, I didn't grow up Adventist. Uh, I had only had two years of Adventist education going in when I started ministry because I'd had four years of college before. And uh, when I got to Hong Kong, a, a melting pot, a, a church of 175 members, but over 30 different nationalities represented. And I learned right away that there's so many different ways to do church. Different cultures were melded together there. And as you say, Hong Kong's such a secular society. It's, it's all about money. It's all about what can you do for me now? And my message was to show how Christ can make your life better now, but it's a hard sell in a culture of ancestry worship and dollar worship. But the message is the same. Third world country, first world country, the message is good news. God died for you. He is your only hope, but he is enough. So if you were to, you know, as we kind of conclude this morning, our, our visit here, um, if you were to look at kind of like you might say the capstone at the end of the um, Revelation series that you would be giving, what would that capstone be? How, how would you describe it? What the final message? I, I, can, I can think of just two words maybe, <laughs> um, which would be God wins. Yep. In fact, I'm, we're reading a devotional by Elizabeth Talbot, uh, Jesus Wins, and, and I love the emphasis. I would certainly recommend that. But yes, the absolute assurance of salvation. Uh, Ken, in, in our broken world, in my broken life, and we don't have time to go into the background of my, my past history, but 
I have the absolute assurance of my salvation. I'm going to heaven and there's nothing you or anybody else can do about it because Jesus has done it. And that puts a smile on my face. And I want to, my, my goal in ministry is to see that smile on your face and on the face of every missionary that's out there in the face of every church member that I minister to, that I, that I know Jesus has me in his hands and, and you're going to have to pry me out of his hands and you can't pry me out. I'm I'm even going to have to pry if I want to get out of his hands. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's not about what we know, and we, we emphasize our theology so much or on our, our doctrinal correctness. Not about what we know, it's about who we know. Mm-hmm. I think that's a challenge that we each face. Probably in our humanity, we want to maintain what we think is control, but to be able to surrender it completely and to do it, you know, with with assurance um yeah. you know even as we're talking i'm hearing a little noise out in the background my wife working with our grand dog and trying to teach the dog who you know thinks that they want to be independent but not recognizing if they yield to the master's hand in this case the dog to the master um they're going to experience a lot more freedom yeah and I think that, you know, with our human wills to be able to yield it all. And I, I like how you described that, that it, it, it's going to be hard to get out of his hands. Almost when impossible. When he wants us to be children, you talk about the, the dog and obedience. Ch- little children trust, but we developed that independent streak really early. But Jesus said, if you would just be children, trust me, you're going to have more freedom that right. way. Yes. Well, appreciate your joining us here this morning, Marvin, and we want to wish you God's blessings as you continue to minister to the Chico congregation and um, look forward to the day when we can come and, and worship with you in person again, as well as, as well as meeting missionaries out there in the field again in person. God bless all of you out there. Thank you, Marvin. Special thanks to Ken and Marvin for reminding us what a wonderful thing it is to be in the hands of Jesus. We have a couple more episodes with Ken and Ivan and Osborne. They are episode 63, The Missionaries Need Pastoral Care, or episode 11, How to Be Part of a Prayer Ministry for Adventist Missionaries. You will find links to both of these episodes in the show notes. I would also like to take a chance and talk about upcoming live events, the IWM webinars. Next week, October 29th, we are inviting everyone to a webinar with the title Missionary Family Life in the Buddhist Context. And on November 12th, we have a webinar titled The Five Love Languages in Mission. You can find more information on both of these events on the IWM website. And the links you can find in the show notes. My name is Alex Saw, and I'm looking forward to seeing you next week. <music>